I had uh, talked to um, Nick Scholes. I asked him if he would preach today, as most of you know, since uh, my um, time when I was in a tough time with my um, uh, mind, you know, burned out and all that stuff. Um, the Lord spoke to me about being careful and having people speak for me so I don't have to speak as much as I used to. So we've done that. And of, of course, um, I had asked him, I forget when I asked him, I think I asked him in late, early October, whatever it was, and he said, I would love to. In fact, I think his word, word to me was, I would be honored to. And uh, Nick has been able to cover the pulpit for a few times for me, does a great job. But what we didn't know uh, between the time he said yes and today was um, that he was going to go through, him and his wife and family and our church would go through one of the most difficult days that we would ever live, that they would ever live. And uh, for most of you who don't know, their daughter, 18 years old, ended up having a full cardiac arrest and she had died for 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 20 minutes, sorry, 20 minutes and came back to life. It's incredible. This, and that's the story that we had on, on our Christmas Eve services. I want to share something with you. Um, in 2005, in fact, it was January 21st of 2005, my youth pastor, who had been my youth pastor here for about seven years, his name was Brian Heima. Brian did a phenomenal job as a youth, youth pastor, loved him and his wife and kids and all of that. But Brian ended up with a melanoma cancer. And uh, it ended up taking his life. And I remember, and I was sharing this with Nick earlier today, I remember when, when Brian was going through all of this that the Lord showed me, and we find within the scriptures, prayer of faith, and we find uh, pray for the sick, and we find all of these examples in God's word where God will, God will raise people from the dead, that he would bring life, you know? And, and so as the pastor of the church and as our elders and all of us gathered together. I mean, we prayed and fasted. We did everything. We crossed every T and dotted every I for Brian Heimer to be healed and to be whole. But he didn't. He didn't live. So on January 21st, 2005, is when Brian went home to be with the Lord. And I'm telling you, church, I want to be very transparent with you in this. I plummeted. I mean, I plummeted. I was so discouraged and defeated. I went to meet with John Carter. John Carter was one of my kids in my youth group when I was a youth pastor here many years ago. And, and of course, John has a magnificent church here in Syracuse. And I met with John and I just said, John, I'm, I'm, I'm undone. I, I don't know what to do. And I really was wrestling with this. And uh, I plummeted. And, and it took a long time for me to get to the other side of this. And I, I remember finally God got me through and we got to the other side. And most of you know our oldest son died about two and a half years ago with a massive heart attack at 40 years old. And, of course, that didn't, believe it or not, it didn't plummet us that same way or plummet me that same way. It was very heartbreaking, blah, 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 but, you know, it, it wasn't the same. But then comes Kayla, who's sitting right down here in the front row. Then comes this situation, this magnificent situation, horrible at every level that you would imagine, on so many fronts, but yet now today we celebrate the fact that this young lady actually went to heaven. I mean, she died, and the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And she was with the Lord. And uh, so we, I have this renewed faith, even to a deeper level than ever before, because of what God did with this young life.
Her father's going to be sharing a little bit of that today. Would you please welcome Nick Scholes as he comes to speak? Come on, Nick. Thanks, Pastor. First page is done. <laughs> Good morning. I've read this over several times with my wife and oldest daughter specifically, and uh, I didn't get emotional any of the times, and I haven't even started, and I'm emotional. When pastor asked me to preach in October, I had no idea I'd be standing up talking to you about the biggest struggle of my life. Two months ago, as pastor just said, she went into sudden cardiac arrest without any warning. And the following months have changed the way that I view just about everything in life. View my marriage, view myself being a father, view our church, my church. So when pastor asked me about three weeks ago, hey, do you still want to stick with this? I realized that I needed to first start with what my motives were with standing up here, what it was going to be like to actually stand up here and talk to you about that story. But I also realized that Kayla's story and testimony is not something that can be stashed in a dresser drawer and kept away. It needs to be shared. And not just this morning does it need to be shared, but it needs to be shared over and over and over again. Not just by us as a family, but by all of you guys, because it's a miracle. And all of you were part of that miracle. So I encourage you, don't think that this is just the soul's story. This is your story as well. So when asked again by pastor, both Jen and I realized we've got to do this. And if you saw the video on Christmas Eve, then you know for the most part the story. So I'm not going to specifically go through uh, moment by moment in that. But I am going to share many miracles as we go along this morning. And I want to start by opening our word, opening the Bible to Ephesians 3, chapter 14 through 21. And I'm going to be reading out of the New King James Version this morning. So, uh, and it'll be displayed on the screen as well as we read. It says this, Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for using each one of us uh, in my story, in your story, in our story, Lord, 
I thank you, Lord, uh, for every single person who got on their knees praying for my daughter. I thank you, Lord, that you have given us an opportunity to share that story and for it to have worked out so well. But Lord, I also thank you that no matter what circumstances we are in, you are good. No matter what we go through, Lord, you are still a good, good father. And I pray, Lord, that 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 would resonate this morning. That that would resonate as we go through this message, as we go from from this church this morning. Lord, that that your spirit would reside in us in a way, Lord, that we've never, ever experienced. And that we would go away knowing that it doesn't matter our circumstances. It doesn't matter what we're going to, through. All that matters is that you are in heaven on the throne. That you are our good, good father. In the name of Jesus, amen. You see the first phone call to the doctor's reports, to the surgery that she went through to walking out of the hospital two weeks later, to the anger and fear present in our household, and to the slow recovery we're currently experiencing. Both Jen and I have realized that the strength we have had through this ordeal is not our own. In fact, I'll tell you that nothing we have done over the last two months has felt like we've had enough strength in our natural beings. You see, we didn't have the strength to continue one more hour in the ICU or pray for healing for the millionth time, or fight any longer in the natural realm. But the amazing thing through this is that we didn't have to. It was being done on our behalf. It was being done through the prayers of literally thousands of people all over the world, from what we can gather, 10 different states, three continents, five different countries, people we knew were praying specifically with Kayla's name in their prayers. Those prayers were literally keeping our tiny, (laughs) minuscule lifeboat of faith afloat. That was it. And as I prepared this morning, it's produced a lot of sleepless nights. It's produced some frustration, some frustration in my spirit. And I want to let all of you guys know, just because I'm standing up here doesn't mean that I'm 100%. Neither my wife or I are 100%. But that's why I'm standing up here is because he doesn't, he doesn't call the qualified, right? He qualifies the called. So that's why I had to be up here. As we've carefully made our way through this year, there's been one question we were both confronted with. And although I probably don't think either of us actually said it directly, we certainly could articulate the sum of our thoughts as this in 2018. (laughs) Is God good enough? Is God enough? Not is God good enough, I'm sorry. Is God enough? Is he really enough? And I don't want you to get confused with whether or not we need people in our life. We do. Or, or things that God has provided and ordained on this side of heaven for our benefit. We need all of those. I'm not implying that you just need God alone. We need all of us. But what I'm asking is, in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the hardest time of your life, if it all comes crashing down on you, is God still enough to sustain you? Is he enough to keep you going? Is he enough to carry you through the fire 
even if the fire burns you, is he enough? This is the question I want all of you to ponder as we dig into scripture this morning. I want you to consider your own current realities and keep this question in the forefront of your mind throughout the morning. What I read was uh, in Ephesians and uh, the passage from the Bible in, in this little portion is a prayer that Paul is saying over the Ephesians. Ephesus was a really wealthy church, wealthy city. And he had, Paul had originally visited there before uh, during his ministry, but he's now in prison and he's writing back to the Ephesians. He's encouraging them while he's sitting in prison, just to give you some context here. And Christ actually identifies the book of Ephesians and Revelations, and this is what he talks about as the church in Ephesus. He says, I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown weary. He's saying, so he's recognizing the great things that they're doing, but he says this, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Christ's struggle is that they lost their first love, the original passion of their faith at their conversion. Unfortunately, I believe much of the American church looks very similar to the church at Ephesus. We are enduring and we get credit for enduring, but we've lost that first passion, the passion of the work of the cross in our lives. So as we go through this message and the prayer that I just read, and I'll continue to read, we're going to kind of dissect that prayer. I want you to picture that Paul, even though Paul was praying this over the Ephesians, I want you to picture that Paul is praying this over you this morning, over your life, over your faith. The first scripture is uh, verse 14. It says, for this reason, I bow my knees to the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This physical act of kneeling is not the importance here though. The idea here of kneeling is to show reverence, humility, and honor. Paul's act of kneeling here is to show that God is in charge. And this model should be the same for us as we come to our father in prayer. We are recognizing that it's not only through him that we move and we breathe and we gain our strength. See, our act of kneeling isn't just physically kneeling, but we're actually kneeling our hearts in reverence to our heavenly father, in submission to our savior. And in our story, that's exactly what we did. On the floor of a cutout waiting room at St. Joe's, 20 minutes after I had gotten the worst phone call of my life. My family is huddled in this little area that when I say cut out, it really was a cut out. It wasn't a waiting room. <laughs> and the four of us with my daughter getting worked on, not knowing anything. The first nurse that came in at the time had no news for us. I actually asked her the question directly, does my daughter have a heartbeat? And she said, I can't tell you that right now. In her silence, we knew enough. It was clear she came into St. Joe's without a stable heartbeat, just like she got into the ambulance without that stable heartbeat. And we realized in that moment that we were going to need every single person we knew 
and connected to every person we knew praying for my daughter's life on this side of heaven. We knew that that had to happen. And we knew what that was is that we needed to see the fullness and the unity of the body of Christ manifested in our prayers. And the great thing about this scripture is the next, the very next verse, verse 15, it says, from the whole family in heaven and earth is named. That term whole actually means from every family. The better translation is every family. In both a continuation and a foreshadowing, if you read the book of the entire book of Ephesians, uh, Paul is talking about unity in the body of believers. And Ephesians chapter four literally lays out, it is the, the chapter uh, talking about unity in the church. And so when people started praying, it wasn't just Jew or Greek, right? For Kayla's life. It wasn't just Catholic or Baptist or Methodist or Pentecostal. In fact, one of the most shattering prayers over Kayla's life was a Catholic priest who came in and prayed healing over Kayla while she was in a coma. There was a unity of everyone in the church praying for her survival. Calling out to God, people I would have never imagined sending me scriptures Telling me, hey, read this. Talitha Kum. If you've read anywhere in the Bible, there's, uh, there's a spot two different times in the Gospels that says Talitha Kum. Talitha Kum will mean uh, something to me the rest of my life. It says, little girl, I say to you, get up. It's a story about Christ raising a little girl after she was in this very, very deep sleep that everyone thought she was dead. Talitha Kum, little girl, get up. And so that's what we started praying for Kayla. Little girl, get up. The amount of church encouragement was absolutely amazing. The support of this church potty, absolutely indisputable. And not just prayers, but real actions. Visits to the hospital, food provided for us. There's so many different things, so many different people that I'd love to sit up here and think. But it was amazing. And it was ultimately the manifestation of the unity of the body of believers, every family under heaven coming together for Kayla's life. Watching our kids. And we were overwhelmed by the support. But unfortunately, <laughs> we really only wanted one thing. And I wasn't quite sure if any of that support was going to get us the one thing that we wanted. All we wanted was for our daughter to be healed. We needed a healing and neither of us had any plan on leaving the hospital before it was done. Or at least that's what we were telling ourselves. So I figured during my study, I would find countless men and women in the Bible who through perseverance and persistence got their miracle. And you can find it. You absolutely can find it. And in fact, uh, I wasn't going to share this, but I'm going to share it. I, 
This is my second sermon. <laughs> I wrote another one all about perseverance and prayer. And uh, I believe it's of absolute importance. But I also believe that um, that wasn't what the Lord wanted to show us through Kayla's story. Because you could come out of that saying, well, maybe I'm just not praying hard enough, so I need to keep praying harder. But that's not what he was teaching us. And it's not the approach Paul took when he was praying to the Ephesians. In fact, he doesn't really deal with circumstances or circumstantial prayer at all until the very end of his prayer. Look what he deals with. And um, when you guys display this, I, I would like these three bullets to say up on the uh, center slide. Paul's three prayer requests. To be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you would be rooted and grounded in love. Remember, I asked you to picture Paul praying this over you. To be strengthened with might through the spirit in your inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you being rooted and grounded in love. So what does that all mean? To be strengthened with might. I want to take one of them each at a time. To be strengthened with might. Other translations here use the term power rather than might. This statement is referring to the strength that you receive and are, and are receiving. So it says to be strengthened. You're actually not only just receiving power, receiving might, but you're continually receiving it as well. And the Holy Spirit is empowering you for his kingdom purposes. Your inner man, when it's talking about the inner man, it's your heart, right? It's your mind. It's your spirit. It's anything outside of the outer man. So what's God saying? God, as, as Paul is praying this, Paul says, God, I ask that through your Holy Spirit, you would empower them for the work of the gospel. Give them inner strength. God, I ask that you would empower them for the work of the, of the gospel. Give them inner strength in their inner man. What's his second request? His second request is that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And this, I absolutely love the implications here. I want you to think of it this way. Christ is literally taking up residency in your heart. And it says through faith, he's taking up that residency. He is implying that as your faith increases, you are literally allowing Christ to move more and more stuff into your heart as your faith increases. He is taking residency in your heart. So that's what Paul is praying here. Paul is praying over the Ephesians. He says, I pray that Christ would dwell more and more and more in your heart, that you would allow him to take more and more residence in here. And how does that happen? It happens through your faith as your faith is being built up. In Ephesians 2.22, it says this. It lays this out absolutely perfectly. In him, you also are being built together for, 
That's really important. In him you are being built together, you, your temple, for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. You see, you are, I am a dwelling place for the most high God. Yeah. Right? (laughs) Hallelujah. You are, I am a dwelling place for the most high God. My daughter makes fun of me, my 18 year old. That's a mind blower for me. Mind blown. You see in the Old Testament, the dwelling place was the temple. However, with Christ's life, he has reestablished the temple as his body of believers. You are the temple of the living God. And the third request that Paul is making, the third request that Paul is praying over your life this morning is that you would be rooted and grounded in love. Because of the verb tense here, this statement, Paul is literally saying that this has happened already and is continuing to happen. You're rooted and grounded in love, but you're also continuing to stay rooted and stay grounded in Christ's love. He desires our life to have the foundation. So Christ here, the symbolism here is that Christ is actually the soil through which your seed is planted. And in that planting, you are growing up in his love. Amazing picture. You're rooted and grounded in his love. These three requests, not only do they provide the backbone for healthy Christian living, they absolutely do, but they also rightly define the struggle, the toil, and the refining through which our family had to endure endure during the recovery of Kayla. There are many instances where the power of the Holy Spirit broke through in the natural. The power of the Holy Spirit broke through. And I can tell you these moments were significant indicators of the strengthening of our inner man. Remember the first one. If you can put those three uh, bullets up on the uh, middle slide, I'd love to have those so everyone can see them. They were indicators of the strengthening of our inner man. Even if in the moment we didn't understand or were not prepared to fully comprehend what was happening. The most notable of Okay. The most notable event was on Monday, October 29th. This happened on October 27th, Saturday. Kayla's body had been cooled to 92 degrees for nearly 36 hours to support the decrease in swelling of her brain. On Monday, they slowly began to allow her temperatures to rise. And as she reached her optimal temperature, they began to decrease her sedation medicine one after another. She was on several sedation medicines. So she was put in basically a hypothermic coma. Just a a week ago, we actually found out that people uh, in this church had set alarms at very specific times throughout the night, knowing when Kayla's temperature was going to start to rise. And they were praying throughout the night 24-7 so that 
so that there was never a break of prayer going through. That just is so humbling for me. And we find that, found that out just recently. As all of this was happening, we literally had no idea what to expect. We, we literally didn't. They were bringing her temperature up. She had been in a coma since everything happened. We had no idea, and the doctors had no idea either. She didn't have a brain MRI, so they weren't quite sure if she was even going to start moving. We had one doctor early on say, hey, I, her, pupils, um, her pupils are moving a little bit. That's a good sign if you need some hope. That's literally what he said. The doctor said, if you need some hope. This was the first day, I think. And so that was the only bit of hope we had. So they were bringing her um, sedation up. (sighs) And she started to wiggle her toes and fingers. Oh, sedation down. My wife's helping me. (laughs) They were starting to bring her sedation down. And she started to wiggle her fingers and wiggle her toes. And she opened her eyes and she even recognized Jen a little bit. (laughs) You'd have thought we were having a party in the ICU. And if any of you have been in an ICU, you know that there are signs posted everywhere that say maximum of two people in the room. Well, we probably broke that. Because news spread around that a miracle was happening. There was at least five or six people in the room, and there was at least 15 people in the, in, uh, right outside the room. My wife, on no sleep for 48 hours, living on ginger ale and water, um, wearing clothes that someone had bought for her at Walmart, uh, was literally jumping up and down in the room saying, thank you, God. Thank you, God. The power was being released in the inner man. And it was strengthening us. And I remember a, uh, a Facebook post, one of the first Facebook posts that I read right after this. It was super simple. It says, it said, I just witnessed a miracle. <laughs> Kayla was starting. That was our first miracle that we got to see. Kayla waking up. The second request by Paul was certainly more difficult for us. See, the first was that we would be strengthened in our inner man. The second one is that Christ would dwell in us through faith. I promise I won't lie to you. I was questioning everything during this time. Well, almost everything, I guess I'll say. I didn't question a God, but I certainly questioned his intentions behind everything. You see, I've been a pretty sheltered and protected by God for most of my life. My my faith, for the most part, has never had to endure anything like this. And so I was being confronted with things in my faith that I had never had to be confronted with. Why, God? Right, the question that we always ask, why God? Hasn't this girl already been through enough? 2018 was pretty horrific for Kayla. She was in the emergency room in late January, early February because of a vaccine injury. She was out of school for almost four months at the end of her junior year. What more can she go through, God? Can you, can you just give this to me? 
right? The thing that every good parent says to God in the midst of watching their child go through the worst struggle. God, just, I just give this to me. I can deal with this. She can't anymore. But what I didn't realize in the moment now is that all of these questions were actually building my faith. Christ was literally beginning to dwell in areas of my life that I had never needed him to dwell. I don't even think I knew there was a room there for him to use. And although it would be easy for me to say this because my daughter survived, it's not because everything worked out in the end that I can say this. It's not because of that. And this is why I know that. I lost my only remaining grandmother about three weeks ago, only remaining grandparent. She was 88 years old. Her kidneys were starting to fail, but we believe that she had a lot left, a lot, a lot more time left. And broken again, right? I'm like, God, just got done with this. Does this have to happen too? I was, um, I had asked my superintendent uh, I work at a, a school district and I had asked my superintendent if I could take some time out to go visit her before because we thought that she had about a year left. And uh, I had asked him in early October and uh, he had granted me the time. And so I started looking for plane tickets in mid-October. This happened October 25th, 27th. I didn't uh, get a chance to buy a plane ticket. And then she passes and I never got to see her. And I could be frustrated and I am. And I could be letting that seep in. And I could let that sadness frustrate me to the point of saying, okay, Lord, I, why, why do I continue to need to go through all of these things? But I realized that Kayla's situation and the residency that Christ had taken in an area of my life that I had never needed him before was actually providing me strength in this moment. Hallelujah. That's the amazing part about this, right? That because of something that I had to go through with Kayla, now I was actually being strengthened for this moment. His residency had taken a place in my heart, a place that I didn't know I needed. Finally, the third one is that we would be rooted in Christ's love. And both Jen and I have always realized that we needed our marriage, that our, our family rooted in Christ's love. But I don't think I ever realized it um, until it was manifested in the way that you guys loved us. In 1 John 4, verse 11, it says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And that's exactly what you, the church, did for us in that moment. You loved us and showed us that love. So Paul has prayed these three requests, that you would be strengthened in the inner man, that Christ would indwell inside of you through your faith, and that you would be rooted and grounded in love. And then in verse 19, it says this. These are the results of this prayer. 
to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Here's, what's your, here's what is absolutely amazing to me. If you're rooted and grounded in love, then a byproduct of that is actually understanding Christ's love because the two can't be separated. I read that portion of scripture in 1 John 4, verse 11, but the verse immediately following that says, anyone who does not love God, does not love, does not know God because God is love. If we are rooted in love, then we know God. And in that knowing, we are being filled with all of the fullness of him. As you allow the residence to occur, you will be constantly filled up with the fullness of your Savior. And that brings us back to this original question I was asking myself in the midst of this tragedy. If I'm being filled up in the fullness of God then he must be enough, right? But what if Kayla doesn't make it? Are you enough? I know that might sound morbid, but that was the questions I was asking myself. Can I get through this still believing in a God, in a good God, if she doesn't survive? I know my wife's answer to this question at the time, but it's as real as it gets. Are you enough to carry us through this? And I'm sure that you have asked the same questions at some point in your life. God, are you enough? Are you enough if this phone call doesn't go the right way? God, are you enough if the doctor's appointment doesn't have a good result? My family member, my friend, my coworker doesn't make it. God, are you enough? Am I still going to trust you? Are you good? Are you enough to carry me through? Well, the amazing thing is his resounding answer is yes. It really is yes. And this is why. I don't want you to just take my word for it. I really don't. I want you to read verse 20 with me. It's going to be displayed up on the screen. It says this. With, with me. This is important. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah exceedingly, abundantly, above all. You know, if you take out exceedingly, abundantly, above, the scripture still is pretty powerful. God is able to do all that we ask or think. That's great. But it's, it's like Paul goes all seventh grade essay on us. He just starts putting adverbs in front. Right? He just starts saying, nope, it's not just that he can do all. He can do exceedingly, abundantly, above all. That's how big our God is. And the cool thing about that, what does the end of the scripture say? How does it happen? 
according to the power that works in us. It's pretty cool, right? I said we were vessels of the living God. It's the power that's working in us. It was the prayers that all of you were praying over my family, over my daughter in that. The power was being released through those prayers. It says it right in the scripture. The power was being released in that moment. So I'm allowed to ask you the question, right? Is he enough for you? He's strong enough to save. He's broken every chain. He's risen people from the dead. He has a place in heaven for you. He's forgiven all of your sins. Is he enough for you? With his voice, enemies flee and mountains move. Walls fall down at the sound of his name. Seas are split with his power. And amongst all of that, he still desires to be your best friend. Is he enough for you? Giants fall in his presence. Strongholds are broken. He adopts you into his family and redeems your life. Is he enough for you? He has made a way in the desert. Desert. He supplies all of your needs. He has showered you with love, with mercy, with grace. He has given you an inheritance, an inheritance in heaven. Is he enough for you? What if he doesn't heal your daughter though? Is he still enough? What if he doesn't answer your prayer immediately? Is he still enough? What if you're in the valley of asking for God over and over and over for something and it hasn't come to fruition? Is he still enough for you? Because here's what I'm challenging you this morning. I'm challenging you to challenge your own mind of who you have created God to be in your life. Because you see, if God is not enough in every situation or every circumstance, no matter what it looks like, then we've created and made up our own God. We've put our own selfish boundaries on him and in doing so actually have lied to ourselves convincing ourselves that the only time God is good is when he's answering our prayers. Do we really think God's that small? Because that's a small God, just so you know. That's not believing in a big God, that's believing in a really small God. That's why this is what had to come forth this morning. That's why the start of Paul's message, this uh, start of Paul's prayer over all of you wasn't to pray for your circumstances. It wasn't. It was that you would be strengthened in the inner man by his power, that you would be empowered. It was that Christ would take up residency in your heart and that, she, that, it, that you would be rooted and grounded in love. I want the prayer team to come forward. If you've not accepted Christ this morning into your life, 
this prayer is your prayer. God, I ask you to be strengthen me in my inner man. Christ, I want you to take up residency in my heart. Lord, I want to be rooted and grounded in love. It's as easy as that. There's no magic bullet here. It's as easy as that. The magic bullet is actually the passion that comes forth from you as you allow the power of the gospel to work in your life. That's the magic bullet. And that's what Christ was saying. That's what I want back in Ephesus. I want that passion back. So that was for the unbeliever. What about for the believer? What are the areas of life that Christ needs to take residence that maybe you've, you've asked him into your heart, but he needs to take residence in other areas through your faith? That he desires to root and ground you in love. He is enough. And we cannot allow circumstances to dictate how we perceive God. My circumstance is amazing. But I know that that's not the reality with every single one of you. I know that there are people in our church that can come up here and tell a story that doesn't have the same ending. But they're here coming to church, still getting on their knees, still coming before the Lord saying, my circumstance was horrible. It was horrible, but God is still enough. He is still enough. He really is. We must come to the realization that the promises in Paul's prayer are outside the confines of our circumstances. That you would know the love of Christ and that you would be filled with all the fullness of God. Those are his promises. He's enough. The song that we're gonna about to see, uh, sing, the, the, the song that we are about to sing was chosen before I uh, wrote this sermon. The term is, it is well, and we've sang it at church before. It's a pretty powerful song. And I would encourage you, whether it's in your pew or you come down and get prayer or even come down and kneel at the altar to say, no matter what my circumstances are, no, no matter what I've gone through, God's enough and it's well with my soul. Because that is what, how we should look as Christians in a secular world. We go through the same exact stuff that everyone outside of the church goes through. We cannot look the same as them when we're going through it. 
we go through those circumstances, but we serve a God that is exceedingly, abundantly above all of those circumstances. He is able to do it. So I challenge you, whether it's in your pew or whether it's down here at your knees, just as Paul did at the altar, or it's coming and getting prayer from one of the absolute amazing prayer warriors. Sing this song with all of your heart that it is well.